Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Hello, I'm Steve Abramowitz and this is the Mill Creek View podcast. I'm so glad you found us. If you're new, welcome. And if you're a subscriber, welcome back for the new year. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, special guest Kelly Lork. I hope I said that right. Welcome to our People in News episode where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today, we are talking with Pastor Kelly Lork. Pastor Kelly Lork and his wife Esther began the Cure Church on September 11th, 1993. They were sent from California, having never been to Kansas City, but trusting in God throughout their journey. Fast forward 30 years, starting with just a small group of 11 people, they have successfully birthed a thriving network of churches across the nation. What sets these churches apart is that they were planted by individuals who were birthed from within the, uh, the Cure Church itself, including their pastor. Kelly Lork is an author, church planter, itinerant Christian speaker, leader, and founder of the Cure Church Network author of Burn Your Ships to Do Something Which Forces You to Continue with a Particular Course of Action and Makes It Impossible for You to Return to a Former State. Are you ready to burn your ships and never look back? This powerful and thoughtful, provoking book takes a deep dive into the true meaning of discipleship, challenging the reader to go beyond the common misconceptions and embrace the radical call of following Jesus Christ by Apostle Kelly Lork. Hello, Pastor. How are you today? Did we get your sound on? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you hear me? Everything fine? I see you and I hear you perfectly. Fantastic. Well, Just in time. Great. It's great. a blessing. Thank you, Steve. It was great and honor to be here with you. Awesome. Well, to start everything off, I'd like to play a short clip uh, for you from Christmas time and get your thoughts on it. Would that be okay? Absolutely. All right, Steve, let's hear it. How cool is that? Trying to get some lettuce in here. Oh, come let us adore them. There's many of us here every Christmas, but the setting right here, a Walmart, it might be the last place you think you hear carolers singing. Man, that video being shared everywhere on social media. Well, our reporter Grant Stevens saw it. Then he went to go find out what inspired it. Videos of this caroling flash mob went viral this week. We found out it was at a local Walmart down in the Legends. So I wanted to find the people behind it and how they pulled it off. Totally impromptu. Yes, and I, I, that's mainly that's what we did. After my message Sunday night, I go, whoever wants to show up to Walmart. Turns out the whole group was from the Cure Church in KCK, and it was Pastor Esther Lork's idea. My main thing was go there to bring some hope to anybody. The whole idea was to get that same feeling, that same word inside the church out. After her Sunday service, she asked the congregation there to meet her at Walmart. Just be discreet. I go, just go in there. Don't don't come all together, you know. And be ready to sing. And at 810, my wife just started singing. Then church members started singing. And then it was bizarre. Workers started singing. Her husband, Kelly, also a pastor, watched the whole thing. And I'm watching tears come down people's face. I'm watching other people sing that I don't know who they are. Turns out their audience was a lot bigger than they thought. Thanks to. All right. Thanks for that. Um, so tell us about that experience. 
Well, uh, that experience, we did not know that was going to happen. Actually, this is a, the true story. Sunday morning, I ministered. Sunday night, um, my wife was going to share. I went home. She stayed at church all day preparing. And when I came back in the evening, uh, she pulled me in her office and says, I, I have this idea that I felt God gave me. I really feel I need to go just go minister to people at Walmart. My wife's a worshiper. And she goes, I'd like to invite people. And it was a very last minute thing. I said, I'll, I'll support you. Let's do it. When we went there, a, a group, like I said, a group of our people showed up, not the whole church. And when she did it, uh, I mean, there was people paying for other people's groceries. Afterwards, people were asking for prayer. And the way it went viral, the video you just seen, that was not our personal video. Uh, it started off with the manager of Walmart uh, videoing it. It was 36 hours before we posted anything. And I started getting calls and people that I know, even on the other side of the Atlantic over here in Europe, calling me, hey, was that you guys on social media? We got it on the news here. And... It was a blessing. I was like, we had people get saved in the parking lot. People were asking for prayer. I, I was not expecting that at all. But that kind of leads me to this, Steve. I think the church in America has been hiding in their buildings for too long. Jesus said, we're the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And we have salted the salt for so long. And our society is uh, crumbling at the core on moral values, on uh, all kinds of issues. What I see what's happening in the world, I don't blame the White House. I don't blame politicians solely. The church has a responsibility as Christians to share the love of God, the gospel. And uh, we do that. As a matter of fact, at the Cure Church, every week I challenge people, don't go out and tell people about the church. Tell them about Jesus and they'll want to come to church. The Bible tells us to go out into the world and share the gospel. The gospel changes lives, not churches. So tell us about the move from, um, I think I said, California to Kansas City. Quite a difference. Is there Was there a culture shock? Was there oh. more of an embrace in Kansas than there would be in California? What, what was it like to experience the leap of faith into the unknown and how did it work out? Well, real briefly, I got, I got saved at age 19. I walked into, I, I, I got, I lived on my own since I was 15 years old, uh, got thrown out of my house. I was a drug dealer, blue hair, punk rocker in the eighties. I deserved everything I got from my mom because I was just a bad kid getting arrested, a problem child, no dad since fun while. Uh, and then you got to pay the price at age 19. I have hepatitis. Someone's trying to kill me and these Mexican gang members. I did not know they were Christian. They let me live in their garage. And I moved in their garage, and they're praying for me. And about three weeks later, I'm three days on speed in 1987. And I came in that garage. I fell to my knees the first time ever. And I just said, God, if you're real. Uh, I didn't go to church at all. I didn't know nothing about it. I just said, God, if you're real, I can't do this. I cried out to God. When I got up, I never smoked, I never drank, I never got high again in my entire life, and they took me to church. It was a church in East L.A. 
right in the heart of the gangs area on Whittier Boulevard, where all the cruisers are, low riders. Mm. And I went to a church of 1,200 Mexican gang members, and I'm the only other white guy there, except for the preacher from Oklahoma. It was an amazing move of God I got saved in. And the pastor had this incredible heart that this is too good for us to um, uh, keep here. We need to reach the world. And I was taught that I, first time in my life that God has a plan for your life to make a difference. I was so grateful what Jesus did in my life. I wanted to do it for others. And so we started planting churches. And my I got married. I got saved at 19, married at 21. And at age 25, my pastor walked up to me and he said, uh, I need you to go to Kansas City. I had never been to Kansas City. I literally said these words to him. Is that... Is it like an Amish town? Do they have cars there? I mean, I was a L.A. green dude. I did not know nothing. And he goes, you're going to love it. God's going to move. And me and my wife and my son was two years old. And we started driving to a city we'd never been before. Met with a group of people that we got started gathering in my house. We grew. People started getting saved. And uh, I started discipling. And, and my heart is, God didn't just save you just to get you to be a Sunday Christian. He has a purpose and a plan in your life to make a difference. I'm a product of somebody opening up their life to me. And uh, I'm, I, we're totally different backgrounds. He was a Mexican gang member. I'm a blue hair punk rocker. He had kids um, and he just showed me the love of God and it changed my life. And uh, yeah, so he sent me to Kansas City, didn't know nobody. And what did I do? We went on the streets witnessing the people. The church started growing. I personally wanted to be the one discipling in, in training. And some of those early guys that gave their life to Christ, now they're pastoring. As a matter of fact, this weekend, I'm going to the Cure Church Chicago. I remember when that was a young couple that walked to my church in 1997. I think they're celebrating 14, 15 years anniversary. Um, almost every one of my pastors that are out got saved in our ministry and trained and my thought is, in my heart, somebody gave me an opportunity to do something for God and make a difference. I want to give other people an opportunity, the same one I, I, I gave when most of the church world today wants to keep everybody. And I just, you know, no, we, we want to reach the lost. That's what Jesus told us to do. Jesus came for the broken, the hurting. And we believe he is the cure and the answer for racism, addiction, uh, all of that stuff. And so that, that's been our heart of our ministry, to get people saved. That's what Christianity is about. And is it still and, accurate uh, that the Cure Church, which I guess is in Kansas City primarily, but uh, yeah. family of believers, that is 85% new converts? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I would say, what I mean by new converts, I would say 85% of the people that attend our church did not come from another church. They were mm -hmm. either disenfranchised away from church our first time getting saved and i couldn't be more prouder if you came to any of our campuses they're all multiracial, and they are truly people getting saved um and we just don't target other christian people they're already saved you know there's there's sometimes and i mean no disrespect but sometimes the christian american church is really attractional just to other church people. We have a lot of church transfers, but actually people going to church and 
becoming Christian is kind of in a decline in our country. And that's kind of what we see. Um, we see it in our school system. We, you know, they just open up uh, satanic clubs uh, in the schools here, but they're, uh, but the kids in my church are being told they can't share the Bible in their own Bible club. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I just think that's a big issue. And I think if people hear the truth, it'll change their life. For sure. Um, before we talk about the new one, I want to talk about Punker to Pastor, paperback, yeah. August 12th, 2009. Uh, one of your fans, Marcella Moreno, wrote five out of five stars, radical change of a lost man to a pastor. Uh, United States citizen, November 10th, 2023. She wrote powerful testimony of the beginning of a man lost in the world and by faith found God in his darkest moments and became a pastor of Kansas City. This book is proof that anyone can be saved by God's grace. Tell us about Punker to Pastor. Well, uh, I didn't know you were going to bring that book, but thank you. Uh, yeah, it's it's my story. And I wrote that in two two ways. I, I wanted the I'm very evangelistic. You, you'll, you'll figure that out after this interview, but that God, would want, he came to reach the lost, and I was lost. And if you're reading that book and you're lost, it'll give you hope that God really has a plan for you. You were not just born as a mistake. You were not just here, and no matter how far you've gone, God loves you and he cares about you. If you have a child or a grandchild or somebody you know, it'll give you, hopefully, hope for them, uh, that God's not done. It when it looks hopeless to someone you love, God can do something in their life still. But the Bible says, uh, forgive them much, love much. So that book there does talk about my stories, and they're they're pretty bizarre. I never I don't even believe my stories. Sometimes like the grace of God over my life, you know, putting on a ski mask, doing home invasions, robbing people and and just doing just stupid, stupid stuff. And when I, I was all in, which kind of leads to my next book, I was all in when I was not a Christian. I didn't care. I didn't care what people thought about me. I didn't care what people, you know, what I looked like. And the Lord spoke to me when I got saved. He really did. Are you going to start caring now that you're serving me? And And I really thought about, how much time I gave the devil or the world, why would I not give God the same effort in, in what he has for me, whether it be just a regular Christian at my job, in my home, in my neighborhood? Um, my life changed completely. I was a, a misfit to society, but when Jesus, the gospel, came in my life, I mean, obviously I stopped doing crime. I got a job. <laughs> I paid taxes. I got married. I became a productive member of society. The gospel will do that. And then obviously the good stuff, Jesus changes you. You get to go to heaven. Uh, but you get to share, you get to be the light. To me, the greatest part of Christianity is what I do outside of the building. Even to this day as a pastor, the greatest stories and the funnest part is it's not always preaching. But sharing the love of God, praying with someone at a restaurant, at a gas station, and if every Christian would get out there and make a difference, uh, I, I think the world would change radically. 
I think Barna, Barna Research had it at one time. 95% of Christians have never shared their faith and led anyone to Christ. And that's the great command. That's the great commission. Jesus, that's all he told us to do. He only told us to do two things. You love God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, your neighbor, yourself, and go into all the world and preach the gospel. The devil loves that. Um, so let's move on to the next one. I, I, unfortunately, I only have you know 35 minutes with you. I'd love to spend two hours with you. But Ellen, another five out of five, this one about your new book, Story of a Modern Day Miracle. I lost track of Kelly for 25 years, and when I found him again, I could not believe what the Lord had done in this man's life. It's truly moving to know that this poster child for the Los Angeles punk rock scene of the 80s had found the Lord and was now using God, or really letting God use him, instead of using drugs, that he was now full of compassion instead of hate. In his new book, Burn Your Ships, Tall Pine Books, June 23rd, 2023, Pastor Kelly Lark insists it is time to scrap your backup plan and embrace a life of radical obedience to Jesus Christ. Hardcore Love defines true commitment to Christ and Burn Your Ships explores exactly what that looks like. Lork challenges Christians to set your eyes on true treasure and embrace the unmatched adventure of following Jesus. Okay, tell us about the new book. Well, obviously, it's from the story of Cortez when he came to Latin America and discovered the land, and his men came to the shore. And when they came to shore, he turned around and burned the ships that they came across the uh, Atlantic to. And his attitude was, we are all in. There's no return. There's no retreat. And I'm very passionate. Jesus gave us whole life for us. And Christianity suffered because we've not given our whole life to him. When you give your life to somebody, it doesn't belong to you. And I know this may seem radical, but Christianity truly is radical. Mm -hmm. It really is radical. Um, we make it private, but it's not private. It's personal. He says, confess me before men, and I'll confess you before my heavenly father. All I know is this. When you burn your ships and say, I'm not just a Christian on Sunday. I'm a Christian at my job, at my high school, in my neighborhood, with my family on the holidays. Somebody's going to get touched. Somebody's going to get like, some, not everyone's going to accept it. But the ones that do, their lives are radically changed. And, uh, you know, it's funny, the whole world can be radical about their agenda. The LGBT community, the the leftists, anybody can be radical about their sports team. And does no one really gets offended about anything else. But when it comes to Christians, I don't understand why Christians can't be excited for what they do and handle the negativity. Uh, we forget that Jesus said, People are going to hate you for my cause. I, I'm not looking to make enemies. I mean, I want to be a blessing to people. But if, and, I, I, and again, Steve, I'm not trying to be so preachy, but I am a preacher. If we believe in heaven and we believe in hell, we really believe that's our theology, that Jesus is coming back. My question to Christians is how much does that theology change your lifestyle? I mean, if we really believe that people are going to miss eternity with God, how can we not share what Jesus did in our lives? How can we not tell people about this, that we work with eight to 10 hours a day or on our route or at our school? 
or our loved ones. And I think that's the issue. I mean, the enemy has ripped off the identity of Christians so much that today they're rebranding our children. They're confusing them in school. And we sit back and, you know, maybe yell at our TV and say, that's right. I, I don't like this. But if you're a child of God, we believe Jesus is the only way to the Father. Yeah, so and much so that as... the, the Pope and the Methodists have uh, oh. confused it completely. So uh, one more, one more, um, sure. uh, what, what would you call it? Um, somebody wrote in, to, this is from Amazon, Kevin W., another five out of five stars. So congratulations. Uh, <laughs> I've known Pastor Kelly for a long, long time, and I can tell you that his heart is to see those that are lost come to know Jesus. And so anything that he puts a pen to is going to be evangelical in nature. Jesus said, you have to be willing to take up your cross. And I know that this book points to that. So that's awesome. Congratulations. Um, I'm new to that whole thing too. And I just want to clarify since I've got you and you're doing exactly Please. this. The first part of Revelations, I kind of think of it as in thirds, we have John, yeah. he's the disciple Jesus loved writing uh, this. He wrote his letter to five of seven churches, the light posts, right? Yeah. Two are perfect and they get worse on a sliding scale and further into Turkey they get from Jerusalem, right? Yeah. So from 100% participation in what you said to zero, how do you keep all your network of churches across the nation in line like John tried to do? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I, I think pastors need to care more about the worker than the work. I, I'm going to say that again. I, I just was on the phone with one of my pastors across the country earlier today, and I'm like, how are you doing? How's your spiritual life? I, I think sometimes we, and I again, I don't like to be negative, but we've, we're more concerned about celebrity Christianity and big ministries instead of building big people. Uh, I, I, discipleship, I'm really into. So if I've earned that right to speak into someone's life, I have to live it. Hebrews chapter 7, uh, I, I'm sorry, chapter 13, verse 7 says, follow your leaders who have lived a life of faith in front of you. Look at all the good that's came out of your life. I want to be an example I want to be an example to my guys. I want to be an example to all people. Even if I'm at a restaurant and I'm with some pastors, intentionally, it's just natural. I am going to share my faith or offer prayer to somebody to let someone know just because I'm a pastor, I'm still a disciple. I'm still a Christian. So building that personal relationship and talking to them. Hey, remember how you got saved? Remember what I did for you? Second Timothy 2.2, Paul says to Timothy, the things you heard and seen in me, Timothy, you commit to faithful men to teach others also. Mm -hmm. Paul is saying, Timothy, I discipled you. Now go do it to faithful men that they'll teach others. He is holding them accountable for how good God's been to him. So it's not a bunch of rules of like, hey, we're, we're not cookie cutters. Everybody's got a different personality in our network. Everyone's got a different calling, but we all have one purpose is to reach the lost. So tell us about three ways leaders can avoid losing their radical edge. Yeah. Well, obviously, stay saved. <laughs> it, it sounds so funny, but we've seen it's sad. We've seen a lot of ministers uh, let pride 
open doors of compromise in their life, and then they fall. And I, I don't like to focus on the negative. Those are realities. And the reality of this is if pastors, they, they need to, we have to get away from, I, I, I know we don't like terminologies, but away from this seeker sensitive um, Christianity to the point of, I don't think you need to beat up people every Sunday morning and just thump them over in the Bible, but you need to be not afraid to challenge people and tell them the truth. I am seeing more than ever in our churches, especially after COVID, people are coming to church wanting to hear truth. They're not afraid to hear about repentance. They're not afraid to hear about the truth. And I think pastors have to not be worried about, oh, is this going to offend somebody? Am I going to lose some tithers? The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but unto us it's the power of God, the Bible says in the book of Corinthians. And so my my, my point would be, have some conviction. Have some conviction as a pastor that, you know, I'm not here to give you a cappuccino, even though we got good ones at our church. I'm here to share the truth with you. The truth sets people free. There's nothing greater than a pastor leading somebody to Christ. I mean, that's the greatest, greatest thing you can be there. And I, it doesn't come natural for me. I was telling that to this pastor today. It doesn't come natural. I have to pray for this. I have to cultivate it in my heart. Naturally, my nature could be selfish. My nature before I was a Christian didn't care much about people. I have to say, God, touch my heart. I have to, obviously, like anyone else, I can't confuse my ministry with my relationship with Jesus. My relationship with Jesus is not my ministry. And I have to say, God, not my will, but your will be done mm -hmm. in every area. And that's from me, just not what I'm going to preach on, but the, every area of my life to be a difference. So, and when you signed off on your book, you, you called yourself Apostle Kelly, right? So what are the five common misconceptions of discipleship? Yeah, well, let me just refer to that uh, that title because there is misconceptions about that. It, it, it was given as uh, uh, not some super spiritual thing. I oversee pastors of a network, and I govern this network with that. And that title, that's where that comes from. Because I know right now on YouTube or wherever you're at, everyone's got a title and self-ordained and so forth. I believe every man and woman of God that's in leadership should be have a Paul in their life, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. Mm -hmm. They need to be accountable to somebody. They need to have a Barnabas that's somebody they can relate to, and they need to have a Timothy, somebody they're pouring their life into. I think every Christian should have all three of those relationships. Uh, uh, but I mean, that's, yeah, I do pastor. I do what, uh, I am a Christian outside of my building. I'm a pastor in my building, but I also have apostolic leadership uh, overseeing other pastors and helping them fulfill their purpose. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So what are the five misconceptions? Of, be, uh, of that title? Uh, from your book, it's five common misconceptions oh, oh, of yeah, discipleship. Mis well, I think one would be uh, discipleship is just something that you can preach on. It's something that's in a classroom. And I don't, I don't believe that discipleship is your life. You cannot, I can preach on discipleship, but I'm really mm -hmm. teaching it. I let me give you an example. Uh when I got saved, I didn't know how to pray. 
I didn't know nothing. And I remember getting a knock when I'm living in that garage and the man that was opened up his home to me literally said, Hey, you, you, we need to pray. I'm like, I don't know how to pray. He said, kneel down next to me on the couch and uh, just listen to me. It's so simple. Somebody has to live their walk with God. Discipleship is really imparting your life. We can write books about it. We can teach about it. But somebody has to fall in love with somebody else and speak into their life about it. So the, I think out of all five, that's the one I would probably want to focus on. Then you have to ask yourself this question. Does your life have enough room for somebody else? With all of our busy schedules, with our family, do you have enough room? I am a product of a, of somebody who had a job as a truck driver getting up at five in the morning. Literally taught me how to read the Bible. As simple as that may sound, literally taught me everything. He wasn't a pastor. He was just a great home group leader that poured his life into me, taught me how to put a sermon together, taught me how to pray, took me out on the street to go witness to people. I seen it. I didn't have a dad at all. I literally seen him be a husband and a father. Somebody has to be an example to somebody else. And uh, that is the biggest misconception of discipleship is that you cannot disciple without true relationships with people. Hmm. When the Bible says, I, I know we got to go, but when Jesus sat at the feet, the disciples sat at the feet of Jesus, that is a posture of him living a life in front of them. He ate with them. He spent time with them and so forth. So whatever spectrum you are as a church member, a leader, or a pastor, true discipleship is spending time with people and imparting your walk with God in them. Yeah. 1 Timothy 1.15, right? Christ yes. uh, came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst, he said. Uh, so as you say, a church is for sinners, not for saints. Um, last question from your book. Uh, the issue the church can no longer ignore. What's that? People are people are dying without Christ. And again, I'm very passionate about this. I was uh, in a meeting with our mayor at the election of uh, 2016 with all the pastors in our city, and uh, he uh, began to uh, talk about his concern for Obamacare. And he began to tell these pastors, we need to, uh, you know, the election's going to switch. We might lose Obamacare. I need you guys to do this. It's going to affect people. And I'm with about 80 pastors in my city. And I knew the mayor very personally. And I raised my hand and said, I need to share something. I'm not an insurance salesman. And I shared my testimony, like I shared with you a few moments ago. We are preachers. And... Our, we had three cops shot when uh, we haven't had a cop killed in like 30 years prior to that. And we had three killed in one summer and there's violence in our city, just like any other city, there's all kinds of crime. And I told them when I got saved, that changed my life. I go off us preachers would get out and share the gospel and challenge our people to do it. That's what happens. I really believe this, Steve. If we are the salt of the earth, I know I'm being redundant on this, but if we really get out there and make a difference, the average church member, it will change. I'm tired of our kids shooting each other, committing suicide, being sexually confused when we are sitting here right on the answer. And that's going to just take us to 
go against what we feel, not being afraid of whatever retaliation being canceled. And if we're going to be hated, I want to be hated for my love, not hated for my hate. Hmm. That's well said. And that's uh, exactly what the word is for. All the answers are in the Bible. Well, pastor, thank you very much for your testimony and your time. We're at the end here. So tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you, buy your books and follow you. And if you're in the Kansas city area, maybe even come here, you, you preach. I would be honored. First of all, thanks, Steve, for the opportunity to be with you today. Uh, you can go to kellylorkey.com and you can find uh, all the info about my book. The church is the cure.church instead of .com. Uh, our info's there. Uh, but you can find our book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, all the main websites. Uh, I'd be honored if you had uh, read it. It'll challenge you. and It's meant to challenge you to go out and do something for God. You got one life. So many years, so many months, so many days. And when we stand before God, I want to be good steward of what the time God gave me. Yep. So many breaths until the very first one in heaven. So I understand. Yeah. And God bless you. And thank you so much. And uh, we will put all that in the show notes so people don't have to figure out how to spell your last name. It'll be there for them. Yeah. And uh, with a name like Abramowitz, yeah. we do our best. Yeah. All I'm right. on all, it's on all the social medias, Instagram, uh, TikTok, Facebook, all that stuff too. Excellent. Well, happy new year and, and keep the faith and keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great you job. You too, Steve. Thank you so much. Thank you. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally without restrictive exercise or cardboard dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof. Look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. I don't understand how you ever did without me. I don't understand how I bring you down to your knees. Welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show. Producer Steve, what did you think of our guest, Pastor Kelly Lork? Uh, wow. Just a wonderful, um, just a wonderful, uh, let me get myself up here and there you are. <laughs> there's that beautiful face after a new year. Well, we're in purple because he, he has one he's, last night. He, he is preaching my, um, my heart. I am the same way. Uh, spend time with people, share the good news with people, uh, be there for people. I've had the pleasure of doing that for over 40 years and I look to, God willing, many more. And what you're doing here today, Steve, is the same thing. It's an extension. You're inviting people to come in, hear your show, hear the presentation. That the good news is that Jesus Christ sets us free and gives us a purpose. And we can't find that hope in anything else. No other religion, not even Christianity, quote, it's Christ that saves us. And so thanks for That's bringing right. Kelly on. What a wonderful breath of fresh air to start the first of the year off. Yeah, second day of the, of the new year. Well, would you say that water is a pretty important commodity to life? I mean, Jesus was the living water, but would you say water is pretty important? 
Yeah, and we get a lot of it up here in the Northwest, but not everybody does. You do. Well, I'm pro-life in that way, too. I drink 120 ounces a day, and I am blessed, uh, dare I say, privileged enough to have a refrigerator that filters some impurities out. So it's pretty clean water. Well, we talk about predictive media, too, on the show, where the press actually tells you what they are up to or want you to know. So we have this to look forward to in the new year. New York Times pushes groundwater crisis to attack America's poultry and dairy industries. It appears 2024 may be the year of the manufactured water crisis, posted by Leslie Eastman. The Environmental Protection Agency was poised to foist methane regulations on this country. While theoretically targeting the petroleum industry, those rules could be used to control cattle ranches and dairy farmers, given that these are also important sources of methane generation. Based on experts that pushed approved science, trademark, Narratives earlier this year, a panel at one of the WEF elite conferences focused on initiating an official water crisis response. Professor Mariana Mazzucato, founding director of the UCL Institute for Innovation and Public Purpose, launched a lecture on water being a common good and how there needs to be a correction for something the private sector's not doing such as taking care of water resources due to climate crisis threats. She stresses objectives, especially during urgent periods, for example, like a pandemic. Then she plows into turning water into an urgent and an intersectoral problem. Producer Steve, not a trick question for you. This is real now. Would you drink toilet water? uh let's see if it's clean and there was nothing else around uh yes i would but uh not with urine in it and not with feces <laughs> in it i didn't say that but california approves wastewater for human consumption oh. regulators approve rules to let agencies recycle wastewater into drinking water for homes gray water schools and businesses when a toilet is flushed in california the water can end up in a lot of places, an ice skating rink in Ontario, ski slopes around Lake Tahoe, farmland in the Central Valley, and coming soon, kitchen faucets. California regulators on Tuesday approved rules to let water agencies recycle wastewater and put it into the pipes that carry drinking water to homes, schools, and businesses. In San Jose, Local officials have opened the Silicon Valley Advanced Water Purification Center for public tours so that people can see that this is a very high-tech process that ensures the water is super clean, said Kirsten Struve, the assistant officer for the water supply division at the Santa Clara Valley Water District. Right now, the agency uses the water for things like irrigating parks and playing fields, but they plan to use it for drinking water in the future. Producer Steve, do you know how people get cholera? Yes, it comes from feces and that kind of thing. But let's 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 make a point. This is going to have so much chemicals, so many chemicals in that water, to offset all the uh, all this stuff. And mm -hmm. uh, Steve, I mean, there are well, cholera transmission is usually through the fecal oral route of contaminated food or yep. water caused by poor sanitation. Most cholera cases in developed countries are a result of transmission by food, while in developing countries, it is more often water. Per the Mayo Clinic, symptoms of cholera infection can include diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, muscle cramps, shock, dehydration, and death. While cholera has largely been eradicated in developed countries, 
It's still a persistent killer in third world countries lacking adequate sewage treatment and access to clean drinking water. Okay. In the early to mid-19th century, cholera tore through England, killing tens of thousands. A British doctor named John Snow, not from Game of Thrones, suspected that the mysterious disease which killed its victims within days of the first symptoms lurked in London's bum-bum-bum drinking water. (laughs) California toilet to tap proposal could be approved next week. State authorities will vote on regulations to turning sewage into drinking water across California. Several reuse efforts are underway across the state, including in Los Angeles, San Diego, and Santa Clara County, according to the Chronicle, which noted the new regulations must be cleared by the State Office of Administrative Law before taking effect. Metropolitan and sanitation districts hope to start construction on the project in 2025 and begin delivering water in 2032. Thankfully, we'll all be dead. Party purifying clean wastewater that is currently sent to the ocean to instead produce drinking water across up to 60 miles of new pipelines. The way we manage our water resources is no longer sufficient as we encounter longer, hotter periods of drought and increasingly limited water resources, Metropolitan General Manager Adele Hagenhall said in the news release. The state of California currently imports its water supply from other states through the Colorado River. 17 months ago, while unveiling a much-revised 2022-2023 state budget, Governor Governor Gavin Newsom bragged of having a $97.5 billion surplus to expand health care, social equity, and educational programs. No other state in American history has ever experienced a surplus as large as this, Newsom said, as he unveiled a $300-plus billion budget that the legislature eagerly adopted with a few tweaks. It turns out that they badly misjudged how much taxes people and businesses would pay. The nonpartisan legislative analysis office said tax collections were off by $26 billion, a major driver of the deficit. When combined with the economic slowdown California has been facing since last year, it leads to a predicted deficit of $68 billion. Legislative analysis Gabriel Patek announced Thursday That is the biggest deficit by dollar in state history, but previous deficits have been larger as a percentage of state spending. California's current budget tops $300 billion, the largest by far of any state. And starting yesterday, more than 700,000 immigrants living illegally in California will gain access to free health care at about $3 billion. But just wait until the rest of them get the word and head over there for freebies Beginning January 1, for the first time, undocumented immigrants of all ages will qualify for Medi-Cal, the state's health insurance program for extremely low-income people. It makes California the only state to fund comprehensive health care for undocumented, undocumented immigrants. On July 14, 2022, in one remote corner of rural California, the state turned off farmers' and ranchers' groundwater. It's unprecedented and shocking, even considering this prolonged drought and the many gut-wrenching tales of water restrictions we're hearing from across California. While most of the restrictions by the State Water Resources Control Board, Water Board, are on surface water deliveries, the agency has now ventured into a new legal territory. It is turning off groundwater. If the Water Board's precedent-setting actions in Siskiyou County take hold in the rest of the state, it could transform, if not destroy, California agriculture as we know it. The reason behind these new regulations? Ostensibly to save fish. 
<laughs> a close look at the facts reveals that this might really be not about fish. Unattainable goal set by California Water Board. It all began last summer on the under the auspices of an emergency drought proclamation made by Governor Newsom, the Water Board adopted a new drought regulation for the Scott and Shasta River watersheds, requiring that the two rivers maintain emergency minimum flows in order to protect fish. The flow levels were recommended by the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Notices went out to all agricultural water users demanding that they turn off their surface divisions and irrigation pumps because the rivers in both valleys were not flowing above the new emergency minimum levels. New. Far, a a new, new standard? They put it up. Oh, uh, oh, no. Yep. The new levels, they were not reaching it. If farmers violated the curtailment, the regulation threatens fines, a cease and desist order, or prosecution in court. Fines are $500 per violation per day. Some ranchers have already been fined for accidentally misfiling their compliance paperwork. The only thing protecting Scott Valley's farms and ranches from total failure right now is the fact that the state is allowing individual operations to keep pumping water if they agree to reduce their waste use by 30%. These binding agreements are called local cooperative solutions. Only about half of the Valley's 32,000 irrigated acres are part of a local cooperative solution this year. Did you know this about your hometown? Washington legalizes the recycling of human bodies into fertilizer. Where, where, where is this? Washington state became the first U.S. state to leg legitimize human composting after their environmentally friendly governor signed a bill in an effort to carbon to cut carbon emissions from burial and cremation. The new law will take effect in May 2020. This is past tense. Those who die in the state will have an additional option to turn the body of the post-mortem into suitable oh. soil for use in gardening. This process is called recycling. Dead people in Washington Silent State. Silent green. Have, yeah, that's where I'm going. Dead people in Washington State will have the option to recycle the body into a soil suitable for use in gardening. The idea of returning to nature directly and being returned to the whirlpool of life and death is actually quite nice. Spade added in a statement to AFP. She said she began to care about the idea about 10 years ago after turning 30 and thinking more about her own death. Spade then began examining the technical aspects to create an environmental friendly third option that would compete with the $20 billion funeral industry, which provides translation, common burial and cremation services. Her research developed by Washington State University which conducted clinical trials with donors, a dead person placed in a hexagonal steel container filled with wood chips, alfalfa, and straw. The bins are then closed and the body is decomposed by the bacteria within 30 days. The final product is a dry, rich, nutrient soil like what people would buy in a local nursery and is suitable for vegetable gardens. Everything, including bones and teeth, is restructured, Spade said. That's because our technology creates a perfect environment for thermophilic bacteria and beneficial bacteria to break things down pretty quickly. There are currently about 16 states that allow the disposal of remains through alkaline hydrolysis. Washington alone will be the first state to allow the disposal of human bodies by means of composting for recycling three years ago. The people of Washington state are now the first people in the U.S. to be allowed to handle dead bodies in a natural decay manner and use them as fertilizer to limit harm to the environment. But 
So what? You can't drink clean water in California. You can't eat clean food free of cannibalism in Washington. We can breathe, right? No. No. Not smog from car emissions anymore. Not secondhand smoke from factories or cigarettes in bars. That's illegal. Humans may be fueling global warming by breathing. New study by Olivia Land, New York Post. Third, that's the third most read publication in America, by the way, published December 19, 2023. Humans may be fueling global warming by breathing, a new study suggests. Exhaled human breath can contain small, elevated concentrations of methane, CH4, and nitrous oxide, N20, N2O both of which contribute to global warming. It's also what the trees breathe. The trees According breathe. to research released last week in the UK journal PLOS, the methane and nitrous oxide exhaled by humans make up about 0.1 of the UK's greenhouse gas emissions, the write-up said. The gases are in addition to the carbon dioxide that humans exhale. The study led by Dr. Nicholas Cohen from the UK Center for Ecology and Hydro Hydrology involved 104 adult volunteers and found that nitrous oxide was breathed out by every one of them, while 31% exhaled methane. Those who did not exhale methane in their breath still probably released the gas ion flatsis, the study said, referring to burking, burping and flatulence. Pesky humans, stay tuned for my thoughts of the new year. This is Kyla Lanier. I'm with Truckers Against Trafficking, and you're listening to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. Ray Little, present commissioner and former mayor of Brentwood, owner of Ray Little Tire and Auto Repair, and you're listening to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. Time for my quotes for the day. But before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes, search for Mill Creek View and hit the subscribe button. I really hope you like it. And you can join the conversation at Mill Creek View on Twitter and Facebook anytime until they deplatform me again. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could remember from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Shecky Green, the legendary stand-up comedian known for his long tenure as a Las Vegas headliner and for working with Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley, died December 31st at his home in the city. He was 97. Green was a regular on the TV talk show and guest star circuit in the 60s and 70s heyday when he offered, sported, often sported a comb over haircut and wide lapel suits. Earlier in his career, he came to represent the epitome of the Rat Pack adjacent comedian in a tux, delivering lightly risque or edgy anecdotal stories and zingers on stage. 
Green was known for his many appearances on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson and for working as the opening act for Sinatra in Miami and Presley in Las Vegas. Um, Steve, would you mind throwing that out there? Two guys are in business, Beck and Schneider. And they're in their business, 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 business is succeeding, but they hate each other. They're in the garment business and they hate each other. Beck, you son of a bitch. Beck, you bastard. Schneider, I want to tell you something. You keep on swearing at me and calling me those names. I'm going to sue. You're going to sue me, Beck. You're going to take me and sue me? Are you crazy? Will sue me for what? I want to sue you for something. It's called defamation of character. Sue me, you bastard. Sue me, Beck. So he sues them. They go to court. She says, Mr. Schneider, he says, you have this wonderful partner. You built this wonderful business. And I, I says, what is this hatred that you have for this man? I said, don't you want to know, son, you could be sued? Defamation of character. If you keep yelling and screaming at this man, you could be sued. You, you mean to tell me, the, the, the George, I, the, for this son of a... Ah, 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 Mr. Schneider, don't say that about Mr. Beck. Otherwise, I'm going to sue you, $100,000. So now they leave. And Schneider's going crazy. He don't know what to do. And that Beck son of a bitch son. He gets an idea, he buys a horse and a wagon, and he goes and he puts it in front of Beck's house, and he says to the horse, Beck, you son of a bitch! Beck, you dirty bastard! Beck! <laughs> hmm. Green was known for his many appearances on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson and for working as the opening act for Sinatra in Miami and Presley in Las Vegas. Rest his soul. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Pastor Loki, for... Reminding us, Acts 14.22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is goodbye for now. I'm your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of MillCreekView.us. See y'all tomorrow. Peace in our time, and definitely glory to God. And Steve, it looks like we have two minutes if you want to play that. Dolly Parton, that'd be awesome. I do not have it. I apologize for that, but uh, that was pretty funny. And since we have a couple minutes, Shecky Green, I never heard of him. I, I never heard of him, but I probably heard many of his jokes over the years. So he well, got it down there. Back sadly, <laughs> when somebody passes away, we have to uh, remind everybody who they were. And if it was a first time for you, there's a lot of information out there on YouTube to, to hear his jokes. They don't make them like that anymore. He had many... Popular voices, funny voices, and can tell jokes like we can't hear nowadays. Could you imagine um, him making jokes about the uh, toilet water for for drinking <laughs> and, and 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 breathing is pollution? And uh, he he would have a basketful of content that that he could just make joke after joke after joke. And uh, what happens when he lights up his cigarette and he's smoking and he's like, I I'm polluting twice as much and. And, uh, Steve, the people are insane that are making these laws. They've lost their brains. They need a little bit of Shecky Green to, uh, you know, joggle them back to uh, reality, I think. And yes, Jesus. comedy is great. And, you know, it, there's this whole theory that you have to publish or perish, right? We've yes. gotten to a point now where there's so many professors and administrators. Claudine Gay just lost her job for being a plagiarist. Today she resigned. She's the Harvard president. We already lost the pen one. Now we'll see what happens with MIT. 
they have no nothing else to do but think of this crazy stuff and then push it out there for consumption and then politicians grab it corporatists grab it and they try to make money off of it and the rest of us just have to deal with it but uh we'll talk about that all year long and um for now okay. we will say good night and we will see you tomorrow or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.